Hello, Lot here. Just wanting you all to know that this episode has been previously recorded and posted. So I hope you enjoy it or re-enjoy it. Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hi, I'm Bot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen posts on Tumblr, joined with Guile. Hi, I'm Guile, Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr. Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky, Chickren on Tumblr. Kama. Hi, I'm Kama, Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. And Gato. Hi, I'm Gato, I'm Gato Mischief on Tumblr. Welcome, ladies. We are continuing our read of the Catelyn chapters with Catelyn 5 from A Game of Thrones. So obviously, for anybody listening, there will be potentially spoilers for the A Song of Ice and Fire series. Well, actually, there will be spoilers. <laughs> uh, potentially, maybe, for the GOT television show as well. And I like when Clotho mods, and she does these uh, last time or summaries of where we are in the story, so I'm stealing her idea. Um, so despite their best efforts at traveling secretly, Kat and Roderick are met by guards and taken to a brothel owned by Littlefinger. He tells her that the Valerian steel dagger used in the attack on Bran belonged to Tyrion Lannister. Littlefinger brings Ned to his brothel, where Catelyn Stark and Sir Roderick have been hiding. Catelyn shares the tale of Bran's attempt at murder. Ned tells Kat to return to Winterfell at once and prepare for war if necessary. He's determined to stay in King's Landing to see if the Lannisters are the ones behind the death of John Aaron. So where we start in this chapter is with Roderick and Catelyn. Um, they are heading back north. They are soaked through with southern rain, which makes Catelyn recall memories of her childhood at River Run. Roderick thinks staying at the Crossroads Inn would be too risky, but when passed on the road by Lord Jason Malister unrecognized, Catelyn opts to stay at the inn. Masha Heddle still runs the inn, complete with a red, sour-leafed, stained mouth. They get a couple of rooms below the bell. Oh, that was a nice little shout-out to Masha. Masha. Masha, Masha, yeah. Masha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good the girl is on this episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it's sort of like reading this the first time through, you have completely different emotions than reading this chapter you know, after you know everything, you know, you see these names and you see these people and it's just, you know, the kind of that sadness of what's going to happen to them all. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yes. And I can't help but think of Sir Benis when you see, like, Sour Leaf now, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so Catelyn wishes she could um, go to River Run to seek counsel from her father, but she knows he's ill and she doesn't want to bother him. She thinks of her sister in the east in the Vale to maybe get more answers out of her. Um, but that path is dangerous. River Run in the Erie would have to wait. Winterfell is where she needs to go. Catelyn thinks of the various river lords and wonders who of them would answer the call if war should come. And then I selected just a little bit here. Catelyn knew them all, the Blackwoods and the Brackens, ever enemies whose quarrels her father had obliged to settle. Lady Went, last of her line, who dwelt with her ghost in the cavernous vaults of Harrenhal, irrescible 
Lord Frey, who had outlived seven wives and filled his twin castles with children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and bastards and grand-bastards as well. All of them were bannermen to the Tullys, their swords sworn to the service of Riverrun. Catelyn wondered if that would be enough if it came to war. Her father was the staunchest man who'd ever lived, and she had no doubt that he could call his banners. But would the banners come? The Darys and the Rigers, the Mutins, had sworn oaths to Riverrun as well. Yet they had fought with Rhaegar Targaryen on the Trident, while Lord Frey had arrived with his levies well after the battle was over, leaving some doubt as to which army he had planned to join. Theirs, he had assured the victor solemnly in the <laughs> aftermath, but after her father had called him the late Lord Frey. It must not come to war, Catelyn thought fervently. They must not let it. Oh, they must not, huh, Cat? <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how much background you get here. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't remember ever paying this much attention before, nope. I guess. But it's funny how, like, like literally the first people she talks about are, like, the, the Brackens and the Blackwoods and stuff. And it, it is... It's funny, the through line of a lot of this stuff, I guess. I mean, like, here we are at the fucking end of the crossroads where every fucking thing happens. <laughs> like, we don't really hear too much about, you know, we don't really hear very much more about the the Brackens and the Blackwoods until, you know, Jamie's chapter of Dance. Like, that's where we actually get, like, that kind of fleshed out. And it's like, wow, he's held on to that. Like, George right? held on to that little history I like Forever. guarantee the first time reading this, I like well, that was probably one of the parts I just totally glazed right over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dudes, names, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and this is probably the first time that uh, we get a mention of the phrase, isn't it? It must be, huh? Like, oh, and you don't even like just think about, oh, well, hey, cat, these—they're gonna kill you, your son, everyone. You can't, like, <laughs> everyone, great. <laughs> So we have at dinner, Kat and Roderick, um, pretending to be father and daughter, traveling on some family business. The hall is crowded with all sorts, including a singer named Marillion, who is heading to King's Landing for the Tournament of the New Hand. Roderick isn't a huge fan of singers, but Catelyn engages in conversation, asking the singer if he's ever been to River Run or Winterfell, perhaps. I'm like, wow, Catelyn, way to be discreet. Yeah, <laughs> she's real subtle. Well, I love, though, that Mer- I mean, I love that Merlion tries to embellish this relationship with Edmure, and we already <laughs> get the thing about the singer sleeping with the girl uh, that he liked. But this is <laughs> like, just so not going to happen, yeah. It's so great. Like, I, the one thing I love about the Riverlands and, like, the time that we spend there in these books is, like, just the rumors that whip around the Riverlands. They're great. <laughs> they are, like, exactly, like, the rumors that actually would go around the land. Like, that everyone would know about. The Jamie Brienne cat threesome, everyone would know about that. Like, this is actually <laughs> accurate. This is the shit, people. Like, you know, Jorah can be like, oh, the common man, like, wants peace and blah, blah, blah. The common man also wants good gossip. <laughs> so, totally wants gossip. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, oh, does he have more? I was going to say, it's funny, Kyle, you were talking about how, like, it's it's rough reading this, feeling bad for everybody, and... I was even feeling bad for Marillion, like, reading this. I was like, oh, God. I mean, like, he's a terrible person, but at the same time, it's like, oh, he comes to such a terrible end. He didn't deserve that, right? Like, He didn't deserve that. that. Isn't that, like, one of the themes of these books, though? Like, these people are terrible, but they don't deserve what happens to them. Like, there's pretty much, I mean, 
you know, even down to like Joffrey, like they don't deserve what happened happens to them for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe Joffrey. I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say. When you remember that he's thirteen, you kind of are like, ugh. I don't know. Some sometimes you just gotta put the animal down. (laughs) (laughs) There's no saving him. So their conversation is interrupted by a servant entering the inn, demanding stables and a room for his Lord of Lannister. Tyrion has arrived at the crossroads with the flick of his gold coin. Um, he's able to procure, procure a room uh, from the full inn. Catelyn tries to hide from him, but the exuberant Marillion catches Tyrion's attention, and he's obviously trying to make a buck. And I got a little bit of select him. My lord of Lannister, he called out, I would be pleased to entertain you while you eat. Let me sing you the lay of your father's great victory at King's Landing. Nothing would be more likely to ruin my supper, the dwarf said dryly. His mismatched eyes, considering the singer briefly, started to move away and found Catelyn. He looked at her for a moment, puzzled. She turned her face away, but too late. The dwarf was smiling. Lady Stark, what an unexpected pleasure, he said. I was sorry to miss you at Winterfell. Brillian gaped at her, confusion giving way to chagrin as Catelyn rose slowly to her feet. She heard Sir Roderick curse. If only the man had lingered at the wall, she thought, if only. Lady Stark, Masha Heddle said thickly. I was still Catelyn Tully the last time I bet it here, she told the innkeep. She could hear the muttering, feely eyes upon her. Catelyn glanced around the room at the faces of the knights and the sworn swords and took a deep breath to slow the frantic beating of her heart. Did she dare take the risk? There was no time to think it through, only the moment and the sound of her own voice ringing in her ears. You in the corner, she said to an older man she had not noticed until now. Is that the black bat of Harrenhal I see embroidered on your surcoat, sir? And then from there, as we know, Catelyn calls upon all of the river... Men, those that are promised and pledged to her father, Hoster Tully. And Tyrion replies, I envy your father all these fine friends, but I do not see the purpose of this lady Stark. And then Catelyn makes her intent pretty clear when she accuses Tyrion of attempting to murder Bran. She calls on the men to seize him, and it ends with a great line. She did not know what was more satisfying, the sound of a dozen swords drawn as one of the or the look on Tyrion Lannister's face. <laughs> <sighs> That's how yeah, war you know, starts right there. Yep. God. She had she had no time except literally all the time. <laughs> like she legitimately chooses the most extreme action she could have, other than just outright killing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, this is a long, uh, this is an old argument (laughs) in fandom, uh, you know, there's a lot of chicken and egg with the goddamn War of the Five Kings, you know, like, who who actually, who really started, did Jamie start it, did Littlefinger start it, did Kat start it, and it is tough to say, (laughs) What isn't tough to say is that this escalated it. Like, there's no question that this escalated it. You hear a lot of people who will argue, okay, well, Kat Kat felt she didn't have a choice as soon as, you know, Tyrion recognized her. She was afraid that, you know, he was going to attack her or he was going to, you know, escalate the conflict or go go to his father or something. You know, I mean, like, 
there are a lot of arguments, but I feel like, you know, Kat should have had a better read on what yeah. Tyrion's place in the Lannister family was. This is a pretty poor choice. This is this is about as poor a choice as Jamie just, you know, thinking for 30 seconds and tossing Bran out the window. You know, you especially think- Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say especially since like he was at he was there at Winterfell with his brother and sister. She probably saw how crappy uh Cersei and Robert must have treated him. So, it's not like she was lacking knowledge. Well, it's also Tyrion is here with Yorin, who has, you know, is a man of the Night's Watch and two servants. Catelyn's just just shown that she has, you know, a dozen or so sworn swords at her back. So her intent to, you know, kidnap him essentially, that's kind of where she goes wrong. Like she has him. She can do whatever she wants with him. She could have a very long, involved, in-depth discussion with him. But instead, she chooses, like, this incredibly... I mean, like, having a confrontation with him at the inn, I don't think that's, like, the absolute worst thing she could do. It's that she, like, doesn't do that. Like, she just chooses to kidnap him. That's where she goes wrong. There's no thought. Yeah, she just goes all in in one. Well, it's emotion. It's entirely emotion. And, like, this is what I'm saying. There are people who argue that she's trying to protect herself, that she's afraid that Tyrion will will tell someone that he's seen her and that they will, you know, divine something from that. And it's like, you could weather that storm. Right. I mean, there's so many logical reasons she could be somewhere, you know? Like, I missed my kids. I had to, you know, pretend pretend you're coming south instead of going north. I went to see my sister or my father. You know, like, there's, yeah, all the reasons in the world for her to be at that spot. Well, here's the other thing, too. You you stated that even if she like even if she is scared, she's gauged the room. She knows she has backup. Like, I mean, she might not be 100 percent that these dudes are going to, you know, step up and pledge their allegiance to her house. But if she was scared, I I don't know. It seems like she would. She had the numbers and she knew she had the numbers. So I don't even think that's a credible defense for her. Yeah, I think it was revenge. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I just yeah. think it's revenge. Uh, it's it was the read that I have on it. I mean, you know, you really don't hear her saying, to, you know, you, you get that she's scared that he's spotted her, that he's recognized her, and you understand that she was going to try to avoid him and not have him recognize her. But the minute that he does, it's like she just gets white hot. <laughs> yeah, she so, can't help herself, right? It's too sweet to not yeah. take the opportunity. And I mean, I'm, I'll respect revenge. Me too. Yeah, but she- She's gone for the nuclear option. Yeah, that's there, a good way there, to put it. You know, you she know. hasn't she hasn't started with the conversation. She hasn't started with the fact finding or any of that stuff. Nope. You know, she's going with you know, the Yeah, the nuclear option. I mean, uh, it's not yeah. I think too like she, she, uh, why she obviously picked up on Tyrion being jovial, like the way he greets her. Like, logically, wouldn't you think if somebody, somebody who, who supposedly is trying to murder your son, why, why would they greet you like that? I thought that was quite startling. Like, why didn't she pick up on that? Well, she picks up on it because she's gonna feel like that later. <laughs> she's gonna, <laughs> oh, she's Lord. gonna be immediately doubting her decision to take him hostage. I mean, not not immediately, immediately, but the next time we get into her head, I'm pretty sure she's already yeah. like, was this the right decision? <laughs> Stay tuned. 
Well, really, I All mean, times, but you know, at the same time, it's like Guile said, I, I completely get it. Like, this is totally something I do. Like, I, I respect it. <laughs> <laughs> she's a mom and she's pissed, you know? I don't know. That's a good question. What would I do if I was Catelyn? But even then, like, she, 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 I'm sorry, she had a reasonable doubt that the men weren't, you know, some of the people in that, um, in that tavern or whatever, were, you know, weren't going to stand up <clears throat> based on her call. True. So even then, I would have been nervous. Like, if I if I were if I were gonna act on a whim, I think that would have held me back. If anything, like, oh, what if I say something and no one comes to my defense? <laughs> well, it's funny because she spent the early part of the chapter wondering if they would all rally if her father called them. Like, yeah. that's actually what she's recounting earlier on. Is she's like, oh, if we have to call the banners, if it comes to war, will they come? And she's the the reason she's thinking about about Walder Frey being the late Lord Frey is because yeah. she's thinking, will he come if we call him? And then she fucking just rallies them all. <laughs> rather ballsy, Catelyn. Like, rather ballsy. <laughs> she is. She is. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, if you, I was reading Ned's chapter where he and Cat meet, and, you know, Littlefinger actually comes up with this, like, extremely plausible um, scenario where, you know, yeah, it's Tyrion's dagger, and, you know, someone took it at Winterfell, and he overlooked it, blah, blah, blah. I mean, even, you know, it's it's entirely plausible, and Kat, like, gives that literally no mind. It is, you know, Tyrion or no one huh. off of just Littlefinger's test. I mean, like, it's such a, it's such flimsy evidence. Yeah, it's not yeah. solid at all to jump into a conclusion like that. Yeah, I reread that before reading this one, and um, he's so slimy, <laughs> like... Oh yeah, like, in that chapter, Littlefinger is so gross. He really is. Really- <laughs> He's not even oh, pretending, like, like, he's just Littlefinger. Oh, and when he, like, the part where he, like, basically tells him he'll leave him alone, but they probably shouldn't have, you know, if they're going to have sex there, they should probably, like, oh, it's just so gross. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably watch, too. Oh, he would totally yeah, watch. Better believe he would. It. <laughs> <laughs> This is a short episode. Any last parting shots? I don't I even. I love Catelyn. I no, love Catelyn. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I love, <laughs> I love her, but Catelyn, man. Catelyn is the Jamie of her family. She is just all about love and emotion and protecting the people she loves and vengeance for the people she loves. And like, this is a, and in a weird way, consequences. a love motivated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, the Tullys are not that, you know, the Tullys are not that different from the Lannisters, really. I mean, actually, no family is like, well, like, I remember I was remember that scene, the bathtub scene where Jamie is, uh, you know, he's like, oh, you know, by what right does the wolf judge the lion? And people take it as, oh, he's being an an arrogant a-hole, you know, by saying like, oh, you know, a wolf is lesser than a lion. But it was like I was reading a thing, and some some guy said I don't remember who it was. He said, "Um, well, you know, I I always took it as that, you know, that how can a wolf judge a lion? Like if they're both predatory, you know, predatorial animals, you know, they both have done bad things. They both share their bad blood. So I just thought it was an interesting analysis. I was like, that's a good way of thinking about it as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, it, you know, frankly, it sounds much better too than <laughs> what right does the fish judge the lion? Right. Man, I like the fish judging the lion. It's got 
kind of an interesting. I don't know. Um, I've seen river monsters. Like a, like a famous Confucius saying or something like that. Yeah, like a, but, but right. Does trout judge lions? I don't know. I, well, I guess trout. <laughs> Although let's say that the trouts are pretty damn judgy, like just in terms of families. But I will say that, like the Tullys might be the judgiest of the families. They're very judgy snobby. Yeah. This is true. Yeah. The thing about this is, this is this is one of those moments where, right, like, the first time you read it, you're like, oh, yeah, well, what, what choices, you know, even though we've been in Tyrion's head, we're like, oh, well, yeah, they're guilty, they're doing this terrible thing, or whatever. And y- you get that, but it's like, this is what George is doing, where he's like, he's presenting the Stark case to you first, and you really don't get the full Lannister case for a couple more books. But when you do, you just look at it and you go, these are just all idiots who've done stupid things and caused this huge war for really ridiculous reasons. And really not much of it is is because of evil motivation. It's just stupidity and misunderstanding. Yeah. And this is like the epitome of that. It's I mean, well, you know, well, Jamie did throw Bran out of window. He did. Look at Jamie's perspective on this. Jamie's like, you fucking kidnapped my baby brother. And like, Jamie oh, right. is oh, yeah. white hot. And like, people get mad because of Jamie's confrontation with Ned after this incident, but imagine Jamie hearing the news that kid that, that Tyrion has been kidnapped. Like imagine knowing how much Jamie loves that kid. He is going to well, be bananas. He probably shouldn't have tossed the sun out the window, but agreed, you know, agreed, agreed, agreed. <laughs> but I mean, but that's I mean, not the point is what Jamie's saying. Wars, <laughs> you know, a lot of them start for really stupid ass reasons. You know, I mean, there's yeah. some, weird thing that happens and it sets a chain of events into place. I mean, it's it's not always the big... Like World big, War One. Yeah, I mean, because the Archduke didn't duck. I mean, I, I don't know who our Archduke is in this scenario. You know, well, Bran. You know, <laughs> sorry. He should have ducked. <laughs> Bran should have never... Ducked or Cersei and Jamie should have fucked. One of the two. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. It's their fault. The fuckings, the fucking start at the war. There's your, there's your egg. I mean, it's so interesting. You know, it's like, what was Littlefinger's plan if, if that hadn't happened? Like, if Bran <laughs> hadn't, you know, if Bran hadn't caught them, like, that is what a good was question. His big plan? Well, I mean, he was, he was starting with that, that letter to with the letter. Okay, so his plan was just like it was all going to be Ned based. Which, yeah, I mean, not a bad plan. Well, I mean, but, you know, that presupposes, like, a certain level. I mean, especially when you consider that Ned really just wanted to kind of stay out of it and stay home. Hmm. Well, I mean, you're prying prying at the weakest part of the plot here. But, yeah, no, a lot of it doesn't make sense. (laughs) Like, how did Littlefinger get an assassin up to kill Bran with that Valyrian steel dagger that fast? Oh, no, it wasn't him. It It was Joffrey. And it's like the luck that Joffrey would be asshole enough to somehow escalate this accidentally. Yeah. There's a lot of that yeah. sort of thing. Right. Unless unless Littlefinger had all these other contingency plans that we will just never know, you know? Like, well, presumably, like, there was all that business with uh, Rob and Aaron and who was going to foster him and all that other crap and, um, you, know, you know, maybe some sort of threat to him would have provoked... You know, I mean, yeah. Did um, did Littlefinger? I'm sorry, because I, I can't remember from the books, but like, was it Littlefinger that like prompted uh, John Aaron and Stannis to like investigate, uh, you know, Robert's children in the first place, or who started that? Well, I don't remember that. Isn't that a theory? Was, I, I think oh that yeah, might I don't be a remember. Theory. 
You see, I just I get my theories and stuff mixed. If that, yeah, if I don't that, know if that, that was ever case. like revealed. Well, because I mean, well, Ned does find out because that's the whole Stannis in a brothel thing, which yeah. still, God, that's a fanfic I need to read. <laughs> um, but that that whole that you know they didn't just suddenly start. I mean, because how old is Joffrey? Joffrey's like what, thirteen, fourteen? So it's not like they suddenly went, "Wow, all the queen's children are blonde and have green eyes." Yeah, clearly there's an issue. Someone, someone someone started something, like the rumor. Can we just say that's not really good evidence, anyway? I know that really bothers me. All (laughs) the queen's children look just like the queen. (laughs) They must not be the like they what? I know, I know. I mean, but might have gotten the recessive genes, but it's still possible. I'm totally there with you. This has never made any sense to me, but um, but I'm guessing that if Littlefinger probably had a whole bunch of little, I think this guy must have like 57 different pots, you know, bubbling on the stove, and periodically he kind of like takes one and throws boiling water all over somebody to make it work. I don't know. I, I'm guessing this man just lives and breathes plans and backup plans and backup plans to the backup plans. Well, if you think about his motivation as only chaos or or only to cause havoc, to wreck things, like his, his goal is to tear it all apart, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you think of it that way, yeah, he can have just like little plans all over the place because tearing something apart is so much easier than building it up yep. and 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 really right. little finger is is very good at this sort of tearing down yeah, and so yeah he might have just had 50 contingency plans cuz i mean if he knew anything about cat you'd think he'd know that this could have gone <laughs> totally bananas like it just did mm-hmm. well i mean that's why i'm saying like there's that whole thing with who's supposed to foster john aaron and lisa dragging the kid you know all the way back to the vale and you know, having these competing stories about what John Aaron wanted for his son and all. I mean, that kind of thing. I could see that maybe, you know, being troublesome. And some of these other things he could have done and rumors and this. And, and this is what this man does. He lives for. So. Oh, fucking little finger. <laughs> hey, little fucker. Little fucker. I kind of accidentally started reading, you know, more of the books. I was reading the Churney. And boy, Littlefinger and Renly really hate each other. <laughs> so like that, it's really interesting to read that relationship. Does it make you love Renly a little more? Kind of. Oh, yeah. Like, Book Renly's the best. <laughs> yeah, he's still I the worst, but he's the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have any mail? Do we get any messages? We do. We have one. Lone miss of apparently no one loves us anymore, so people should send us mail. Um, okay, no, that means well, we influx do have, of mail next well, week. Well, <laughs> uh, we do have a lovely mail uh, uh, email from Math Camel. Uh, Math hi, Camel. all love your podcast. Yeah, Math Camel. It's been a while. Um, yeah. Okay, so love your podcast as always. It really is a treat. I thought it was very interesting what you said about Peter thinking he knows Catelyn even after 14 years apart. Here's the thing, though. Has she changed? She still thinks her brother is being younger and useless. Her father is being all-powerful and wise. Her sister is a little girl she knew. She even sees Peter as a harmless little friend. None of these reflect the realities, even though she must have heard news about their changes in station. 
but they still shock Catelyn, and I think that's because she's changed very little herself. She still treats John like she's a 15-year-old slighted and jealous girl, hasn't matured much there. She still thinks, lives, and prays like a southern Tully after 14 years in the north. Not saying this is a bad thing, but it makes it easier to predict her behavior. And besides, do we really think Littlefinger doesn't have a spy in Winterfell? I always figured that the singer Sansa remembers was his creature, but I guess I have no evidence. And I expect he has agents all over the country, or else much later he would have known to, he would have been known to be helpless in finding a Jamie in the Riverlands. I figured he centered his people in towns and castles, so he still was helpless, but still. Uh, oh, and then there's, oh, I missed the footnote. Okay. Regarding her father being wise to explain later on when Kat gets so mad that people are deferring to her brother as if her father was already dead. It wasn't like she didn't re- realize that Eddie must have been handling, <laughs> must have been handling more and more of River Run business as their father declined. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, there's some truth to that. I think she does tend to put people in boxes, Catelyn. I don't know if you can say... I mean, like, religion is something, like, you know, you have or you don't have, and usually you're going to go with how you were raised. I don't know that that's a predictor of behavior. Mm. I guess I was the one pushing this, this the episode where we talked about this, and I guess my it's not so much, like... That I think she, her opinions of these people she hasn't seen in years are going to change. Because that's kind of my point. I mean, she might have changed, but, you know, you look back on the people you knew when, when you were little. Yeah. It's kind of Sansa-like, actually, know. the way that um, well, that Math Camels described Catelyn. And, like I said, like putting people into boxes. And that's kind of like very much how Sansa thinks about people they have a role and really for Catelyn what's forced her to change she's led a pretty peaceful life um and we're looking at you know a a time well a time a fake fantasy time but you know you're not exposed to a lot of different outside perspectives so yeah I don't yeah no I I think that's a good way to put it I do think she puts people in boxes she does I mean we'll see that Later in this book, when like she meets Maya, I mean like she, she's very much a you know, which is understandable for a, a noble woman raised the way that she was raised. You know, everybody has their station in life, and, and she's very, very much about keeping people there, and you know, and beyond that, she does kind of typecast people. So I mean, yeah, we see it over I and mean, over again, right? I mean, it, it's Tyrion. He's villainized because of the way he looks. Brienne, she feels sorry for because of the way Brienne looks. Um, anybody mm-hmm. that's atypical, right? Yeah, but it's a very, I mean, they're living in a very narrow, stratified society. There's that's not a really good way of saying what I was trying to say. Thank you. Well, well, it's also <laughs> like it's not, it's not even at a point in time where you. I mean, it's not like now where things change in a moment's notice, or even twenty or fifty years ago, or hundred years ago. I mean. Change happens like a very, very icy trickle of molasses, and people aren't going to be. It's very rare for, say, a Peter Baelish to be showing up and having that level of mobility, because most people, 
they're going to be born, live and die in the same spot. And their ans- or descendants are going to be there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I don't know that it's social change that she's, I mean, other than keeping her children safe, which is what the thing with John is mostly about. And also the fact that she really can't take that out on Ned. I, I don't know. You know, I think she, I mean, this is going to sound really flippant and maybe a little bit more than I, I wanted to be, but I feel like it's just like she didn't get out that much after she went to Winterfell. <laughs> no, because, where, I mean, where are you going to go? <laughs> right. I think, you know, the one that really stands out to me is, and, you know, the Blackfish does this too, is the way they treat Edmure, who is, you know, a grown man who is not a moron, but they completely dismiss him and treat him like the baby brother and the little kid to the point where they shoot themselves in the foot in the war doing it. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, you know, that's really symptomatic of, of kind of the way she, the way she acts. And I think too, you know, going, you know, going into putting people in a box, um, you know, Theon even, like her, she, you know, she, there's, I'm, I'm trying, you know, in some ways she probably should have kept, you know, she, Theon maybe should have been kept in a Literally box, like, kept in a literally box. At, <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but he was a, he was a noble kid and so she treated him, you know, maybe with more respect than she should have. And, you know, she seems to be, you know, I feel like her advice to Rob for the most part is not that great. And, you know, in a lot of ways, Rob was screwed from the beginning, but she's very, you know, she's very, you know, Kat's smart, she's political, but she's not as savvy as she thinks she is. I mean, there's a little bit of Cersei there. I mean, not in, like, the extreme destructive way, but in the, I don't see her taking a lot of counsel from people. Yeah. Well, and she hasn't, I mean, you look at somebody, I mean, She's not supposed to be. I mean, she would have been raised with this very, I mean, what she's got, it's got to be innate or she's observed or whatever, because her role, that is not her role. Her role is not to provide strategy and guidance and all that mm-hmm. other stuff. That's a maester's role. And she's, you know, it would be like me trying to give somebody foreign policy advice. I mean, it's not. Well, I feel like there might be some openings if you're interested. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> but, it's got to um, be better than, you know, who, who, what he would, who he'd pick. <laughs> yeah. There's not, not even worse. drug tests I hear. But, you know, but I mean, what I'm saying is, is it's like her role is to be, yeah, it's a lot more than just being, you know, a stay-at-home mom. I'm not knocking that. I mean, she's she's running a castle, she's raising children, she's doing all this shit, but she is not supposed to be giving guidance to a king. That is not her job, and that's not what she's been trained to do. Right, right. And But she she at least, and, and more so than any Stark, is aware that there is a political component to every interaction between, you know, yes. lords. And she is aware of that, and she has a really good concept of how things work and it is something that otherwise the Starks lack. They understand how the North works, but like if you get them out of their own, their own shelter. I mean, like oh, this is how Rob ends up married to Jane Westerling. Cause it's like, he doesn't know enough to get, no, go, Oh, I'm a King. I just deflowered this girl. I'm sorry. Here's some money. You know, let me find that. some soldier mm. who will marry you. And yep. you know, yep. Yep. Yeah. That's very true. You're right. <laughs> All right, is that it for the mail? 
That is it for the mail. Okay. We do love getting messages, so please send us some. Uh, you can reach us at closethedoorand at gmail.com. You can also reach us at closethedoorandcomehere.tumblr.com. Follow us on Twitter at Door Podcast. Please support this uh, podcast on Patreon. We got one more uh, donation this week, guys, by the way. Awesome. Thank you. We love our patrons. Gold-plated microphones for everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Vegas, here we come for the close the door. Maybe just like close the door conference. Yeah, maybe some coffee. Some everybody gets a bag of Rico. Real the real good stuff, not that crappy. (laughs) Right. Uh, so please like and review us on whatever platform you enjoy this podcast on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever. And uh, Gato, as always, thank you for being with us on this podcast. Always love thank having you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and thank you, panel. Thank you, moderator. Thank you, Mod. Uh, until next time, uh, we'll continue on with our reading of the Catlin chapter. So please read along with us and uh, send us some questions. And closing the door, get out. <laughs>